0: Well, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series in the book of 1 Peter, and we're nearing uh, the end of the book. This is the last sermon we're going to do in 1 Peter, and then we're going to move on to 2 Peter. But uh, today we're looking at the, uh, the end of this book. And if you remember, Peter has addressed this letter to exiles. And what we've been saying is that exile is a metaphor. So he's uh, not writing to literal exiles who are banished from their homeland. Uh, Peter is writing uh, to exiles, meaning all Christians living in the world. If you're a Christian, you're in exile. That means this world is not your home. Although you may have an address here, a home here, neighbors, friends, your identity, your values, your citizenship is somewhere else. And so the question is, how do we live in the world as exiles in it? And uh, Peter has been warning us of a lot of different dangers, and today, as he comes to the end of this letter, he's going to warn us of a final danger, a final thing that we need to be aware of. And as I read this passage, it reminded me of uh, several years ago when I first arrived in Arkansas. I was uh, hiking and fishing on a beautiful uh, uh, countryside that belonged to a friend of mine up in Melbourne. And so we were out in this serene environment. It was very wonderful. And I and, uh, as I was out there, suddenly it dawned on me that I was, in, I was in a danger that I had no idea I was in, because at that moment, I was attacked by a vicious little tick, and uh, I was completely surprised by this. I was taken off guard because people had warned me about ticks, but they said they come out you know, mid-summer, and this was May, and so this tick must have known that I wasn't from around here. And so it was just this horrible thing. Of course, I slapped it off my neck and I threw it down, and I thought that was over. But then two weeks later, I came down with a horrible, horrible sickness. And what I figured out was that I had something called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is horrible if you've ever had it. I mean, I had a horrible headache. I felt like I was gonna die. They gave me some medicine that I guess that dogs typically, I mean, it was bad. It was a really bad situation. But here's the deal. Since that time, I have been way more vigilant when I go outside here in Arkansas. And the reason why I bring up that kind of silly story is that uh, in our passage here this morning, Peter is gonna warn us to be vigilant and to be watchful concerning a danger that most of us have no idea that we're in. Because this morning, in our passage, Peter is going to warn us about the danger of the devil. And I think, honestly, if, if, if you are, if you're honest, uh, most of us in this room would, would say that, that most of the time, we are just kind of not really thinking much about the devil. You know, there's a lot of dangers that we face, a lot of things that threaten undo us. There's economic dangers, and there's, you know, physical dangers like illness, and there's financial dangers, and there's dangers that, we, that our kids face. There's a lot of things that we think about and worry about, things that threaten us, but I would wager that very few of us worry about the danger of the devil. And I think a lot of times it's because of the culture we live in. You see, the culture we live in is uh, one in which the devil is not really viewed as much of a threat. In fact, it's kind of embarrassing to believe in the devil, as I was reading this past week, there was um, uh, one, one person in psychology today who said this about Satan. He said, how can, how can people seriously believe in the devil? The year is 2015, not 1315. Only a completely uninformed, poorly educated mind with little knowledge of things like evidence could believe in the devil." There is no such thing as the devil, just as there is no such thing as fairies, imps, or goblins. The devil belongs in a Harry Potter movie, not in everyday modern life. And so a lot of us are unaware of the danger. But here's the deal. Peter very much believes in the devil. And uh, as we look at our passage this morning, Peter is going to help us uh, guard ourselves against this very real threat. We're going to see three things today as we look at the passage. Number one, I simply want to look at the reality of the devil. Number two, I want to see the danger of the devil. And then number three, how can we, we, how we can resist this danger. And so first, let's jump into it. We're going to look at the reality of the devil. So Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to Devour. As strange as it sounds to us, Peter believes that the devil is real. And for Peter, the devil is not a metaphor. Uh, The devil is not an idea or a concept. The devil is not a figment of our imagination or a little red cartoon character with a red leotard and a pitchfork. The devil is not Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. For Peter, The devil is a very real being who poses a very serious threat. For Peter, the devil is a, when he talks about the devil, he is being deadly serious. And the reason why Peter believes in the devil is because Peter is steeped in the biblical worldview. He he knows about the the storyline of the Bible, and in the story of the Bible, the devil features as a very prominent feature, as a very prominent character. And so the scripture tells us that here, that in this world, there is more to reality than flesh and blood. There's also the spiritual world. Uh, there's not just flesh and blood reality, but non physical reality that everything that is real is not just the physical world, but there is God who is an unseen spiritual reality. And there are de- angels which are unseen spiritual reality. And there are demons which are unseen spiritual reality. And there is the devil who is an unseen spiritual reality. And this is just a world that the Bible tells us about. And as you look throughout the Bible, the devil is called many names. So he's called the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the father of lies, the God of this world, the accuser of the brethren, the serpent of old. And what's interesting is that none of these are proper names. So the Bible is never given, or Satan is never given a proper name in the Bible. These are all titles that describe what he does. In this passage, he's simply called the devil. And the devil is a Greek word, diabolos, and it comes from a verbal root meaning to slander or Accuse. So here the devil is called the slanderer and the accuser. And again, for Peter, what he says is that the devil is our adversary. The devil is your enemy. Now, for Peter, the devil is not your only enemy. In the New Testament, we know that this Christian has three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Peter's already warned us of the first two. He talked about the danger of the world, persecution, a slander coming from the culture. And he's also warned us about the flesh. He says, beware of fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So you're battling with your own worst self. But for Peter, there is also this reality of the devil. You have a spiritual enemy. And this enemy is incredibly powerful. Uh, The the language that Peter uses here is of a roaring lion, not of a kitten, not of a uh, cartoon character, again, in a red leotard, but of a roaring lion. In another place in the Bible, Satan is called the god of this world or the ruler of this world. The word ruler is the word archon, which is a word given to the highest ranking official in the Roman government. And so for Peter, uh, the devil or Satan is the most powerful, the most influential spiritual evil being in all of reality. And he heads up kind of a, a whole structure of principalities and powers. And so Paul says in, in Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers at war in the spiritual realm. Now, he's not saying that there is no flesh and blood versions of evil. There are. There's the world, there's the flesh, there's, you know, you battle against your evil boss, maybe you battle against, you know, your coworker or something like that. But beyond flesh and blood evil, and behind flesh and blood evil, there is a spiritual, dangerous, powerful, personal reality. And Peter calls this reality this being the devil. And the devil is what is behind so much of the evil in your soul and in our society. Peter believes in the devil. Before we move on, I just want to answer an objection though because there's probably somebody in this room who's thinking, I mean, yeah, but really the devil? (laughs) Really, I mean, isn't it naive? Isn't it just kind of simplistic and infantile to believe in the devil in this day and age? Well, if that's you, I just want want you to consider a couple of things before we move on. Number one, I want you to consider if you don't believe the devil that, that maybe you are the one who's being simplistic and naive. Maybe your view of reality and your view of evil is overly simplistic. Because in the modern world, we, we believe that everything has a natural cause and a scientific explanation, right? You know, everything in this world has a natural cause and can be explained scientifically. And therefore, evil can also has a natural cause and a scientific explanation. And so whenever we're confronted with evil in the world, like the Holocaust, or ethnic cleansing, or racism, or uh, you know, any number of, of ho- horrific evils in this world, we say, oh, it must have a natural cause, it must have a scientific or a sociological explanation. And so we look at a murderer, perhaps, and we say, oh, well, it must have been their upbringing, or it must have been psychological factors, some social things going on. We could figure it out, and we can fix it. But what I want to tell you is I think that view of evil is way too simplistic. There is a depth dimension to evil that is beyond mere flesh and blood, that no mere sociological or psychological factors can fully explain. There's a book by Andrew Delbanco. He's a professor at Columbia University. He's a secular liberal. But in his book, he says, you know what? Maybe this idea of the devil was not so far-fetched after all. And at the beginning of his book, this is what he says. The quote's going to come up on the screen. He said in this book, it's called The Death of Satan. He said, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. We have jettisoned in the West the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in it. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil because it implies moral absolutes and value judgments. So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder to say that Holocaust and ethnic ethnic cleansing and serial killing is just bad psychological and sociological adjustment. We know that there's something deeper going on. I'm reading a book called In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, and it's a little biopic about two uh, murderers who uh, killed a whole family in a small town in Kansas. And it kind of, the book goes on and it introduces you to the killers and you get to learn about their upbringing and you learn about their psychology and you learn about all the things that led up to them doing this heinous act. But honestly, as I read the book, it's not like I, I mean, yeah, it, the, 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 their upbringing and the fact that they had terrible parenting and you know, poverty and all this stuff, none of that fully explains the evil that they did. You don't read about all this and say, oh, of course, yes, it had to happen. There's always something more going on. There's a depth dimension to human evil. And I would argue that if you don't believe in the devil, then maybe your view of evil is just way too simplistic. Yeah, we don't discount psychological factors or social factors, but there's always something more going on. I wanna also um, ask you to consider, if you're having a hard time believing in the devil, consider that you might be culturally narrow-minded. Consider that. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Antonin uh, Scalia, the Supreme Court Justice, he was in an interview, and uh, the interviewer uh, asked him a question, and he says, you know, I believe in the devil. And of course, the media, everybody just made fun of him, and how backwards that a Supreme Court Justice could actually believe in the devil. And he says, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. But he says, listen, he says, for most of human history, people have believed in the devil. And it's only modern Western people that have a hard time with this. And he says, think about the non-Western world. Asia, Africa, South America. Those cultures have no problem believing in things like demons and the devil. And he says, are we so narrow-minded and arrogant that we in the West think that we have nothing to learn? Don't they don't these other cultures have wisdom that we could learn from? And so Peter says, You this is a this is a reality. Evil in this world is complex. There's a reality, there's a spiritual reality beyond the f- flesh and blood world that threatens to undo us. Another reason why we should consider this reality is because of the danger that it poses. That's the second point today, is we're going to ask the question, what is the danger of the devil? It's, he's real, and I've tried to argue that that's true, but you might ask, well, what, is the, what danger does the devil pose here? Well, notice uh, the way Peter describes them. Again, he says, Be sober-minded and watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, notice the language there. The way he describes this cosmic spiritual evil is frightening, isn't it? A lion that is prowling around looking for somebody to devour. The word searching is a descriptive of a restless search for victims. The devil is not lazy. He is highly motivated. He's like a hungry lion. And imagine if in your neighborhood there was a hungry lion on the loose. You know, there was a crouching tiger or a hidden dragon out there. And on the loose and hasn't eaten in weeks and weeks and is hungry. Uh, can a lion live for weeks and weeks without eating? I don't know. But hungry lion prowling around, motivated to devour somebody. This is the picture That Peter gives of your adversary. Now, I think there are two um, opposite dangers we can fall into when it comes to the danger of the devil. Um, And C.S. Lewis, in his book, um, Screwtape Letters, in the introduction, he says this There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And then he says, they themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialists or the magician with equal delight. In other words, he says, you can either not believe in the devil or you can think that everything is the devil. You can underemphasize the danger or you can overemphasize the danger. And some, we all know that there are some Christians that just go overboard and that everything's the devil's fault. I got a flat tire. Ugh, it's the devil. Right, or I got in a fight with my wife. Oh, it's the devil. No, maybe it's just you. You're being a selfish pig, right? <laughs> or, or, you know, when I was younger, I worked in a surf shop, and one day these uh, Christians came into the, the shop down there, and they were going around praying, you know, in tongues. And some of you who are charismatic know that uh, spiritual language. Anyway, they're going around praying in our shop, and I said, well, "Can I help you with something?" And they said, "Oh, we're just we're just tearing down spiritual strongholds," and I said. Excuse me? And they said, oh, yes. And so they went over, and they said they cast a demon out of a surfboard, and they cast a demon out of this clothing line, and and it was just kind of ridiculous. You can go overboard, where everything is the devil. But what Peter says is that there is an actual real threat here. When you think about the threat, notice the way he describes it. He says, what does the devil want to do? He says, the devil wants to devour that's what the devil does. He devours. Think of the devil as a parasite, devouring uh, good things in your life. In C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The uh, Screwtape Letters, it's, you know, if you don't know about it, it's a, it's a demon giving advice to a younger demon about how to tempt human beings. And what I think is so insightful about that book is he says, the danger that the devil poses... Is a very subtle danger. He says, don't look for the devil necessarily in Ouija boards or the occult, although that stuff is real. He says, most often what the devil is doing is devouring the best things in your life. C.S. Lewis said that you should look for the devil, embedding himself on the stuff of ordinary life. So, you know, think about your marriage. He he at one point he's he talks about how demons are are busy trying to sabotage your marriage. I love this quote in uh, the Screwtape Letters. He says here, When two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. <laughs> Work on that. So what is the devil working on? Well, maybe he's working on trying to sabotage your marriage. Not big things, little tiny irritations, threatening to break apart and and undo that relationship. Maybe you should look for the devil trying to sabotage and devour your parenting. You know, a lot of times we can get so distracted and, and we can get so busy with unimportant things in life that we ignore the fact that we've got children that we need to raise. And how serious that job is. Later on in Screwtape Letters, the demon says this, It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out, distracting you, making you forget about that which is most important in life. Or you think, oh, it's the big things that, that Satan wants to derail me with. But then a demon says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And so the devil's work is subtle. He's, he's going to devour you, but he does it in subtle, ordinary, he embeds himself in the realities of everyday life. You know, the devil doesn't walk around with a baseball cap that says, I'm the devil on it. He's way more subtle than that. And the word here, he says, for the devil is diabolos. We already mentioned that. But the way that the devil tries to devour your relationships and your marriage and the best things in your life is through lies. Diabolus means liar or deceiver. The devil destroys you through deception. One of the best works, I'm going to bring another work up, but one of the best works on the devil is one by Thomas Brooks. He's an old Puritan. I think I've got a picture of him that's going to come. Doesn't he look like he'd write a book about the devil? This guy. He wrote a book called Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. And he had like 70 strategies you could use to fight the devil. Which may be a little bit overboard, but some of them are really insightful, I thought. And he divides the different lies the devil tells into two different categories. There are temptation lies, he's the tempter, and these are lies that get you to fall into sin. And then there are accusation lies, these are lies that he tells you after you've already fallen into sin. And so let me give you some examples of them. He says, for example, one lie that he does is he shows you the bait and he hides the hook. In other words, he shows you the short term pleasure of a certain sin. But he hides the long term misery. He shows you how fun and how pleasurable something will be. But then he hides the misery, the long term misery that will come of it. Come on, you guys know that one, don't you? Here's another one. He says he encourages us to rationalize sin as virtue. I'm not a drunk, I'm just sociable. I'm not a gossip, I'm just concerned. I'm not greedy, I'm just careful with my money. He gets you to rationalize your sin as a virtue. Oh, go ahead and do it. Here's another thing he does. He gets you to overstress God's mercy. Do it. God will forgive you. That's his job. He makes you bitter over suffering. I've suffered so much. Nobody knows what I've gone through. I deserve this. He shows you how many bad people seem to be having great lives. Being good doesn't pay. Why am I trying so hard to be good? Being good just doesn't pay off. I may as well just give in. I may as well just have fun while I can. He gets you to compare one part of your life to another. I'm very good over here, and so it's okay that I do this. And the best example of this is like a gangster, a mob gangster. I love my mother. Okay, I kill people, but I love my mother. He's, he's tricking you into sin. And then there are lies that he tells you after you fall into sin. And these are the accusation lies. And, and this one, the, the, these go like this. He causes us to look more at our sin than at our savior. You know, what's interesting is when you read parenting books, it says that you should never just give a one-to-one compliment criticism to your kids. If you, if you tell your kids one compliment to one criticism, they're gonna grow up hating themselves. All the books say that you need to give 10 compliments for every one criticism. Because you kind of already know how bad you are. And so what the devil does after you've sinned is he he just rubs your face in what you've done. He causes you to look more at your sin than your savior. He also causes us to obsess over past sins that have done damage that cannot be undone. Just to think about the past. You know, a time which is irreversible. You can't go back and change it, but the devil will get you to think about what you've done so that you don't have any more hope for the future, so that you feel like it's over for you. And then finally, there's a lot more, but finally he says, he causes us to think that our inner struggles are unique. I'm the only one. If anybody knew what was really going on in my mind, they wouldn't let me in this church. If anybody else knew what I did, if anybody else knew what I struggled with, he's trying to get you to think that you are alone in the struggle. So, are you aware of the danger? He's playing you. You wrestle. Yes, there are flesh, flesh and blood versions of evil. There's all sorts of things that you wrestle with. But there is an unseen invisible a world a cosmic evil that threatens your life that de- is, is looking to devour you. He does it through lies. He does it through ordinary subtle ways. And Peter says I want you to be vigilant and watchful. Well, let's jump into the third point which is how do we resist the devil? So the devil is real, the devil is dangerous. How do we resist the devil? I mean, you've told me this, Brent, but what do I do about it now? Well, notice what Peter says here in verse 8. He says, be watch, be sober-minded and watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So here's what Peter tells us to do. First, he says, I want you to be watchful. If you're going to stand, if you're going to be vigilant, he says, number one, I want you to be watchful. I'm sorry, not watchful, but sober-minded. I'm skipping ahead here. First, he says, be sober-minded. And uh, sober-minded simply means to be alert. It means to be aware. It means that I'm vigilant. It means that I'm, I'm careful. Peter is saying, too many of us walk around sort of with a drowsy carelessness in life. And he says, you need to be sober. You need to be, if you're going to stand at all, you've got to be awake. You can't be distracted. You can't be kind of checked out. You've got to be aware of the danger. you gotta, You got to at least know that you're in a war, that you've got enemies. And you've got to have a soberness about you. There's a seriousness to the situation that we're involved in in the world here. Earlier, Peter says, be sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. You know, be praying. You know, since our enemy is spiritual, we need to use spiritual weapons. And one of the best weapons that we have at our disposal is prayer. And too many of us are not praying because we're just not aware of the danger. Do you remember Peter, the night that Jesus was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells his disciples, pray, stay awake and pray. He he doesn't say, you know, garnish your weapons and pull out your swords. He doesn't say go gather an army because he knew that the greatest danger they were facing at that moment was spiritual. And so he says, what? Stay awake and pray. And what did the disciples do? They fell asleep and then they fell prey to temptation. And so Peter says, first, we've got to be aware and we've got to be awake and we need to be praying, be sober-minded. There's an old spiritual writer named uh, Alan Redpath. And some of you may have heard of him, Alan Redpath, but he used to talk about blanket victory. And I remember reading this and thinking, is he talking about some overall, overarching spiritual victory? No, 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 he was talking about victory over your blankets. (laughs) He was saying, listen, if you're ever gonna Stand against the devil, you've got to know how to get out of bed at a reasonable hour so you're ready to pray and vigilant against the realities that you will face in any given moment. Second of all, he says, not only be sober-minded, but also watchful watchful. He says I want you to be aware and watchful. The devil is watchful. He's prowling around like a roaring liner, like a ocean liner, a roaring lion. He he knows you and he's being watchful about you. And so you need to be watchful as well. You need to be paying attention. Are you when you think about your own sin, for example, don't just think about the fact that you've sinned. Start paying attention. Start watching. Like before the moment that you sin, ask yourself the question: What lie am I believing right now? Don't you, oh, there's a sin, and maybe you might do it, but don't just think, oh, I've done the sin. Start thinking. Well, why did I do that sin? And what lie was I believing? What was I thinking in that moment? He's saying, be, be aware, be, have a, the presence of mind to ask these questions and, and to know some of the temptations and the lies that you are struggling with. Be, be watchful about your own vulnerability and weakness. All of us are weak and vulnerable and we have propensities towards certain kinds of evil. Are you aware of that? One of the best things that's happened, I think, in the last few years is a focus on personality tests like the Enneagram, and some of you know those. And um, I've taken several uh, personality tests, and I, I always hate them because they're embarrassing to me, because they tell you not only what you're good at, but also what you're really bad at. And so the Enneagram, I've, I've taken that thing num- a number of times, and I always come out as a different number. I've been a three, I've been a nine, I've been a five. It's because I change it every time I take it. I don't want to be the number that it tells me I am because I see the weaknesses and the embarrassing things about that number. But it's good to know your weaknesses, isn't it? They may be embarrassing, but hey, everybody else knows what they are and the devil knows what they are. Do you know what they are? Do you know your propensities? Do you know your vulnerabilities? Peter says you've got to be watchful You've got to be aware. Don't be ignorant. And then finally he says resist. Resist the devil. And I love the way he says it. He says resist the devil firm in the faith. He sounds so confident here. Finally he's saying resist. Say no to the devil. You don't have to give in. You know, sometimes we, we, we have temptations and we think, well, I just have to give in because this is my upbringing, or this is my history, or this is my propensity, or this is what I've always done. You don't have to do that anymore. Because the good news of this passage is that the enemy we learn about here is a defeated enemy. The gospel tells us that on the cross, Jesus Christ disarmed the principalities and the powers He fought against the devil on the cross, and he won. And he says, now, if you're a Christian, you've been delivered. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness, and you've been transferred into his marvelous light. And what this means is that the devil has no real spiritual power anymore. He's defeated. You say, yeah, but he's still at work, and he's still doing things, but it's kind of like a chess game. You know, there's a point in chess where you've lost, where you get to a point and... Somebody's won and you've lost. The game is over. But you can still make moves. You can still make several other moves. And this is what the devil is doing. He's still making moves. He's still moving forward. But the game is over. He is lost. And so as you resist, know that you resist from a place of victory. As you get up, get up tomorrow morning... And as you face your day, just remind yourself that the battle has been won and that you can resist. You have power because of what Jesus Christ did. And I love the confidence that Peter says uh, this here, resist the devil. Notice he doesn't say run from the devil. In fact, in James it says resist the devil and what? And he will flee from you. But you've got to resist. And you can resist. And you could do it confidently. You know, there's, there's some wonderful songs, some old hymns about uh, the devil. I don't know if there's any new songs about the devil. I think there was one we heard, we, Hayden played us uh, in staff meeting this, this past week about a funny song about the devil. But there's not a lot of worship songs about Satan anymore. But there was some in the old days. And, and one of them is particularly good. It was written by Martin Luther. It's called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God and listen to what he says in that wonderful hymn he says and though this this world is filled or and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us we will not fear for god hath willed his truth to triumph through us the prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him his rage we can endure for lo his doom is sure one little fir- word shall fell him and Christ has already spoken that word, and so now as we resist, we resist from a place of victory. Let's pray, Father. We thank you so much for this passage about the reality of the devil, about the danger of the devil, and about what we can do. And so, God, I pray this morning that you'd help us to do all that we can. That you help us, number one, to be aware of the danger that we face, the lies that we face, uh, the subtle temptations. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be vigilant, help us to be aware, help us to resist. Lord, give us everything that we need to walk in the victory that you've already won for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.